Hello, welcome to Boss Women, a podcast about women in business in comedy. My name's Katie, and this is my mother, Karen. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said, Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. My mama said, Mama said, You know I am done. again. Beautifully done. <laughs> Still here, Katie. I know. We're packing in quite a few interviews into a couple of days, so we don't have much to update people on. I know, but it's the best <laughs> way, isn't it, to keep it going? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I'm sure we've got something to update us on. Do we? Do we? Don't know. So, so you think your funny party invites are going out today? Great! <laughs> Which is our 35th year of So You Think You're Funny. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> yes, it's going to be the best. It's going to be the best, yeah. Yeah. We've we decided hope. on the finalists, so... Oh, yes, I um, should really say who the celebrity judge is. Oh, yes, that's a good one. Um, Mickey Flanagan is coming up. Oh, sorry. Oh, that was just an <laughs> accident. That was because I mentioned Mickey Flanagan's yeah, yes. name. <laughs> Something fell over. Um, yeah, so Mickey Flanagan's coming up, which... For the 35th uh, year uh, yes. as our celebrity judge, so... And he actually exciting. was in the competition many years ago, and hopefully he will tell everybody how no. much he enjoyed it yeah i believe he does support us very much i hope so i hope so. so i'm looking forward to that good but we do have another guest <laughs> you went very scottish there <laughs> oh, <did I? laughs> yes sorry we do have another guest <laughs> um we have the wonderful kerry pritchard mclean who is a writer and comedian originally part of the sketch group gains family gift shop how why how why don't i know that gains family gift shop kerry's debut friend show was in 2016 called hysterical woman it transferred to soho theater which all her shows have done since then she has appeared on numerous tv panel shows she is part of a podcast called all killer no filler with rachel fairbairn she was awarded the caroline ahern bursary in 2020 Ooh. which is wonderful and she has had many awards so much more to tell you tell you about and you're going to tell us all welcome <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, thank we're you not so best at the old intros just to warn you no, we're, <laughs> we're a bit tired yeah <laughs> You are. Not. That was a professional intro. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Rather than like, his career we've known a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's all yeah, we need to know. Exactly. <laughs> but there's a heck of a lot more you've done than just what I've said. It was so difficult to pick what was the best part. The best and you're probably more proud of some things than others. But you've been doing it for a few years now. And how yeah. are you enjoying it? Yeah, I love it. So I've been doing comedy for about 12 and a half years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started at the start of 2010 yeah. and I, yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah. I think it's the, it's the best job in the world yeah, yeah. and I sort of have maneuvered enough stuff now that I get to do all the bits that I really like Yeah, and I yeah. have lots going on as well. Um, and I just, I'm, I just feel even when I'm, um, stressed and overworked which sure. i'm prone to because i'm not great at managing my workload yeah, yeah. and that's an adhd thing i um I, my partner is good at reminding me um we get to do this mm-hmm. uh, we don't have to do this we get to do this yeah because sometimes yeah. you forget even though you love your job mm-hmm. it can overwhelm you and you'll be like i've got to go and do this thing tomorrow or this thing Absolutely. And, and you have yeah. to look back at yourself and go 10 years ago i would have st- stabbed someone I loved in the face yeah. for that opportunity <laughs> yeah, yeah. and now I'm moaning that I've got you know oh yeah. I've got three gigs tomorrow like when what? when yeah. did you turn professional as they call it um so I deliberately kind of held off for a while um mm. but I still think maybe it was quite quick because I came up on the northwest circuit so Manchester yeah. was where I was and yeah. what the great thing is about Manchester is that they um well, for some, we don't really do five spots. Oh, really? People are booked for tens. Yeah. Um, uh, gong shows do five, but generally yeah. you get, you know, which means you build your setup quicker. Yeah. And you're much quicker to paid work as well. Yeah. It's, it's a, compared to London. Yeah. yeah. So I was very lucky. I think I went full time um, after about five years. Yeah. And I could have, I handed in my notice at the job I was doing after four years and said, you've got a year to find a replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, right, I can, I can pay the bills now. But mm-hmm. I was very hesitant because I had 
I had a bought house when I was young. I want to say it's very cheap. It was, <laughs> my house was forty five thousand pounds. Oh my! So that's God. why I Lovely. could I could afford it on a, a frog. I'm and sorry, bucket. I have to just Wait. tell you there. My first house was two thousand two hundred pounds. <laughs> okay, you <laughs> win. You win, Karen. <laughs> So when was that though? When did you buy a house for um, 45? Well, so while, how old was I? So it was maybe about, oh no, it must've been after I was doing comedy. So it was, uh, so maybe about eight years ago, something yeah. like that. Oh my God. Yeah. It, wow. And it was, it needed loads of work doing and sure. I was just like, right, I'm gonna have to do this myself. Yeah, yeah. So there was no central heating, there was no double oh glazing, all that kind of thing. And you know, a lot of work they needed yeah. doing. And uh, I was uh, I was working at the Frog and Bucket Comedy Club in Manchester as like yeah. an admin assistant, yeah. and um, I automatically had to go to the underwriters for my mortgage because I the wage was not low enough to get a more uh, oh, high really? enough to get a mortgage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I had I had um, I had some money that yeah. my um very sadly my grandma passed away. She left me some money, so I was yeah. like, this is enough for a deposit. I can do this. I've just yeah. got to throw everything at it. But because of that, I was like, even though I love comedy, I don't want to jeopardize. Losing my house, house. yeah, yeah. Of course, of and, course. and also the mad thing is is i was paying like 600 pounds in well 650 pounds in rent yeah my mortgage was 300 quid so weirdly as soon as i had a house my life got cheaper which yeah is which is baffling well, yeah and of course i've got the privilege of having some money there from my grandma of but course. like you know i'm also yeah so i it's that annoying thing isn't it that you know how much rent costs for people and how much it yeah. ties them up in just paying the rent yeah. and then and that's why the class thing is so important in comedy as of well of course of yeah. course yeah, yeah yeah well well done for doing that what was it like what made you want to become a comedian then well i think i came to it in quite a roundabout way i always liked performing as a kid i loved the school plays and all yeah. that kind of stuff and I, then when I was about 15, there was a drama, it was called a drama school, but it's drama club, after school club. Mm. And uh, I started going to that. And I, while I was there, it was very comedy orientated. So lots of improvising and lots of comedy sketches and things like that. Yeah. And I just love that straight away. And we used to put on shows sort of twice a year and they would need bits in between the sort of like, there'd be a musical theater number and then there'd be like a monologue and there'd be this and that and a sketch. And they'd need bits in between. So. The woman who ran it said, well, why didn't you write those bits? And I was like, oh, great. So I'd come up with little sketches and bits for myself to do or other people yeah. to do. So I was like 15 and I just started writing stuff, basically. Uh -huh. And I thought I wanted to be an actor, even though I I, I didn't. I knew I didn't. I, I hated learning lines. I couldn't remember them. Really? I Yeah, I thought all the parts with girls were boring. Yeah. So I was like, but if I want to be on stage, you have to be an actor. So yeah. I, I thought, oh, well, that's how... I've got, sure, you know, that's, that's what I've got to, to do. do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I had come across about the same time, the League of Gentlemen, and I became obsessed with them. <laughs> and I found out that they all met in Bretton Hall, which is a drama school, but it was uni. So I was like, okay, I have to get into university and that's how, I'm, that's how I'll do comedy. Mm -hmm. And so that was my plan was to like, I knew that people who went to uni got to do comedy. So I, yeah, I just went to uni to do like any old thing to meet my gang. And then I went to uni to do, I was also convinced that you have to have like, a plan to fall back on mm -hmm. the whole thing of like you know if you're gonna do drama you got something to fall back on so i originally went to liverpool you need to do like a bsc in psychology wow yeah yeah which is very dry very sciencey lots yeah. of maths yeah and i just spent all the time like binning it off and going and i'd be going to like audition for things or mm -hmm. oh i can write this and i was just never in lectures because i was doing all the other stuff and after a while i thought why am i why am i wasting like so much money in mm -hmm. uni for a degree I'm never going to use. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, I'll just get the psychology degree and then I'll go to like drama school or something afterwards. So I'd have been in uni for like six, seven years. So I was just like, you know, I'm just going to bin it off and I'm going to try and do <laughs> performance stuff. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I tried out for loads of drama schools. I didn't get into any of them because also I was like, I'm bad at acting. It's not my thing. <laughs> and then I, do you know what? My, the person who ran my drama school back at home was like, why don't you apply for Salford Uni? And I was like, I was a bit of a snob about unis. And I was like, sure. well, it's not one of the red bricks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she was like, listen, I went there. It's really performance related. It's there really, if you put a lot in you will get a lot out yeah i think you'll like living in manchester so i was like oh, i'll just put it on the list to keep her quiet and as soon as i went there they give us this massive talk about like by the way probably none of you are going to make it it's really hard the fact that you didn't get into drama school and you're here says that you're probably not going to make it and just give it and i sat there and I, in my head i was like 
can I swear? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I was like, I'll fucking show yeah. you. And I was <laughs> like, I've got to go here and I've got to show them that yeah. I can do this and that I, I know I'm good enough to do this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I ended up going to Salford. Yeah. And of course, by accident, Manchester is an incredible city to do stand-up in. So I started yeah. watching loads of comedy and there was stand-up nights in our uni bar mm. and stuff. And then I saw that this there was a course in the comedy store. So I went and did that. And as soon as I found stand-up, yeah. in fact, there's, there's a really wanky bit to the story. <laughs> in uni, I went to, um, I studied contemporary theatre practice, which right. was like some made-up degree. It was the first year of it. It's, it's since dead. It lasted yeah, really. for like four years. But they were like, well, if you want to make your own stuff, this is what you should be doing. Oh my God, and they used yeah. to take us up to Glasgow for the for the National Review of Live Art. And obviously Live Art's very contemporary, very weird, very yeah. out there. Yeah. And I hated it all. I thought it was kind of exclusionary. And I really, I remember having an argument with a lecturer and I was like, I know my dad would come and watch this and he'd feel like he's thick because he didn't get it. Yeah. But he's yeah. not. It's no. like, it's deliberately dense and deliberately obscure. Yeah. And, yeah. and also I remember laughing. It's like, a woman was painted white, naked mm. and nibbling a rope. And I was laughing <laughs> because obviously it was funny and everyone was looking at me like stupid. my reaction was wrong. Was wrong. And it's like, well, yeah. that's, but no. that's just my reaction. Exactly. And I, I really struggle with it. But that's we, how we always, we feel a lot with some theatres that we, you know, you just be made to feel stupid because you don't understand what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> actually, and there's not also, that much. There's not that much going on. <laughs> it's an excuse to be bad sometimes. Yeah. But while I was up there, I saw this woman, um, who I've since found out, I think it's like Kathy Burke's best mate. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She's, um, She's a performance artist. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll just go and see this woman. And her name's Marcia Vacroix. And she's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I remember she came on stage and she did this show where she had a rack of um, clothes hanging up. And she put on the different thing and she'd talk, she'd tell the story about how that bit of clothing came into her life. And she's yeah. so funny. Yeah, yeah. And I remember leaving being like, well, I, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And everyone around me was going, God, she's like a stand-up comedian. Uh -huh. And for some reason, I had never thought well, you love writing, you love being on stage, yeah. Yeah. stand up. I think yeah. you would now, but there were so few women sure. around. And I think my dad was quite sexist, so we wouldn't have watched yeah, amazing yeah. people like Jenny and Joe, yeah. you know, Joe yeah, Brand. Yeah, yeah. So I just didn't really think it was a thing that women did. Mm -hmm. And then seeing her and everyone going, that's what she's like. I was like, I've cracked it. This yeah, is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And as soon as I did my first gig, Sorry, I was like, Edinburgh's on fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> We are Sirens sitting in the, the garden everywhere. of Deviate and uh, <laughs> life is going on. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. Yeah. So as soon as I saw her and I found stand up, I was like, this is everything I wanted to do. Yeah. And I just, um, I wanted it like all guns blazing. I, I did this comedy course in like 2009 and then yeah. I was having to work because my then partner was didn't get his tuition fees so I was paying both of our rents oh and so I just had to work 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 after graduating yeah and then in the 2010 the January I just handed my notice in and really? I was like I'm gonna be a comedian which yeah. is so stupid <laughs> and then weirdly the a job came up at the Frog and Bucket Comedy Club yeah in the April and I was so skin and I was doing some other stuff I was being like a mad scientist for kids in yeah. fun lessons <laughs> and then this job came up and I applied for it and I got it mm -hmm. and then I was just immediately immersed in comedy yeah, and of course you will have seen, seen so many so different people yeah. Yeah. I got to watch comedy every weekend for free yeah. so it was incredible so I was getting this free education I was also at the time there was an agency running from there as well mm. so I would learn what they thought about acts yeah. how, who they liked dealing with what made people get more work yeah. so sat there with bookers and agents yeah. and you know and club owners and I'd know I'd, I'd read the show reports what what are people looking for from a club act I'd go and watch them what was the feedback like then what does you know how does that translate up there yeah. all that stuff I just learned as it's much so as I could valuable. Yeah. so valuable and then I started to sort of work my way up a bit so then I'd deal with the different um different agents and producers who were touring people and I'd know who was really good at touring people and yeah. who always came through with their print when you needed it yeah, and who yeah, were the sure. ones that you you know they only yeah. check the sales figures the week before and that was mm -hmm. the only contact you had with them. So yeah, yeah. I learned all that. Yeah, and, of and, course. Yeah, and then I went on to be a producer up here. I yeah. produced fringe runs and the odd tour and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, who influenced you in the, in, that you saw stand-up? Interesting. Well, so... In the early days. Yeah, I loved people who... I was really fortunate to grow up around very supportive comics who would host a night called beat the frog which is the new act night on the monday yeah they were really supportive and they were also and still are some of the best mcs really? so i learned from watching dan nightingale jonathan mayer yeah. danny mclaughlin like absolutely jonathan mayer especially like 
coming on so much charisma, yeah. glitter, yeah. can just hold a room like no one else and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. has so many qualities, you know, like he's a, I think he's from Mauritius mm -hmm. and he's adopted and he's gay and flamboyant yeah. and all the things that shouldn't work on a Saturday night yeah. in, a, <laughs> yeah. in Northwest Comedy Club. But of course. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan is so brilliant. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, that's a skill. Yeah. That's it, you know, and, and also... To cut through all that, yeah. Exactly. And yeah. they all were people who made an effort with what they wore on stage and I took that in and I yeah. saw how audiences responded differently to that than someone who comes on in a creased shirt. Yeah, yeah, And sure. I just took in as much as I can. I agree with you there. Yeah, I know. You were always your that. shirt. Yes, <laughs> yes. There's an iron in every green room. Um, yeah, yeah so. for a reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I watched all them, and then I would watch, like, I remember seeing Tony Law play a close of a Friday <laughs> night, and it was when he was wearing, do you remember, a leotard on stage? Yeah. And he's so, and, uh, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely mad, yeah. And Did he, he not have his wife with him for a while, I think? On stage? Yes. On stage. Yeah, oh, well, I didn't he used see to that. when he did Late and Live, I think. Oh, really? Or he did a show here with his wife. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. He was not at the club. He was just on his own in his leotard. But you never knew what his material was going to be. No. Ever. The Friday night, I've never seen someone die so hard in my life. <laughs> yes. And then he came, he ironically encored himself and won them over in yeah. that. Because Which the audacity mad. of coming back and be like, I know you guys want more. Yeah. And they're like, no, we don't. No, but yeah. like, they didn't know what was happening. And then, he, yeah, he had a great one. And, and then, then smashed it on the Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Terry Alderton. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, just seeing acts like that yeah. and uh, just really, really hold the room. I'm just yeah. a bit concerned you haven't mentioned a woman. Well, there weren't loads of women yeah. being loads, booked yeah. and there weren't loads around. So I did. And then when I started working, I started working with more of them. So, you know, I saw it again, like Jojo Smith, like, just obliterate a room, yeah, and, you yeah. know. But the, I wasn't actually seeing loads and loads of women. I was yeah. seeing them at all female comedy nights, but that's sure. a different vibe. And but they weren't of, being booked. Not really. And and I think some of them, like I remember working with Susan Kalman early on, and she was closing Laughing Cows, which was the Frogs all all female lineup. Mm. And yeah, she yeah. used to MC, and she's like, I just don't want to do the weekends anymore. So I'll come and do the nice things. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, I wasn't. I just wasn't seeing as many women on that stage. Yeah, yeah. Which sure. is now completed. There's women every single weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, and the Frog has been, you know, they made a concerted effort. Yeah. But I think I was probably part of that push through of. Yeah. And yeah, it's also as audience changed. I think women became empowered as audience members and like, yeah. we don't want to see boys all the time. No, Where are the no. women? Where yeah. I started to hear that question of Definitely. like, Definitely. or they phone up and go, when have you got women on? Yeah. And, and I yeah. actually think that Katie and yourself and other women have managed to change. Uh, I think you've learned something about that as well. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I don't think I... Like late in life, oh, just, just changing this, the, just this year, just this year. <laughs> Only this year You've changed the industry for the better, but I've just changed late in life this year. Yes. No, because of the women compares. Yeah, oh, it just changes the whole. Female compares are just they're so good. They're so yeah. good. They're so much better at reading the full room yeah. rather than just reading individuals in the front row. Absolutely, they just know what's going on. It, yeah, it's it's wild, phenomenal. isn't it? I always think that that, and also as a woman, it's way easier to come on after a female compare because. There was, for years and years, there would be a sort of like period of adjustment where they'd be like, oh, oh, okay, it's a woman. And yeah. you, if someone's already been on, and especially if they've been brilliant at their job, you are coming on as just another comedian. And yeah. that's what it feels like to be a boy. And it's brilliant. The mm -hmm. playing field is level. Yeah. Because they've gone, oh, yeah, we've seen one of those. We've got yeah. a head around it. They're funny. <laughs> so then you're just like, you're just another comic coming on stage. Yeah, and yeah. it's really liberating. Yeah, really yeah. liberating. Do you remember yeah. your first gig? I do, yes. Well, sort of there was... Um, Did you do an open... Because you said there wasn't many open mic nights kind of spots, like shorter spots. Did you have to do like a five-minute bit as part of the comedy course? At the end that? of the comedy course, we did like a little bit. And then after that, so that was quite fun. Yeah. And then they said, why don't we all book in to do King Gong at the comedy store? Oh, and, uh, all, Yeah, so there was like a group on a Saturday, a group on a Sunday. So we all booked in to do it. So that was my first proper gig. Yeah. And the next one after that was Beat the Frog. Um, mm -hmm. So it was all, it was gong shows. Yeah, um, yeah. And I remember... How did you get on? Well, there was 38 people on. Oh, my God. Yes. And Mick Ferry was comparing. Was I remember that. afternoon or the whole... How <laughs> long did that... Yeah, well, Jesus. no one was lasting, lasting very long. Yeah, yeah. So, it straight off. Um, Four people got to the end. I was one of them, the yeah. only girl as well. Very good. But I actually, it was because I was on early and I wasn't doing great. But then Mick in Mick Ferry, brilliant, brilliant compare. Yeah, yeah. he is indeed. Yeah, interrupted and I had a bit of back and forth and I think people went, oh, okay, so she has 
She's quite fun. Her material's fine, but she's actually funny. Yeah, And yeah. you know how that happens sometimes when you're having a gig and you're like, it's going all right. Something happens in the room, you respond and they go, oh, oh she does know what she's, she's doing. She's the real deal. Yeah, and it, yeah. that happened there. I just didn't know what it was. And so, yeah, I got through to the five and it was, um, yeah, the, so that was, in fact, it was nearly all people from our comedy course that got through to the end, which is a good oh, sign. Yeah, very good. Yeah. yeah. And what, do you know what? There was... One who won, who I think has just started doing comedy again, is up here now. Russell, his name is, and he was amazing. He just ripped that gig like no one else. Yeah. And a guy called Gordon who doesn't do it anyone, but was really funny, and then just like one anomaly guy, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. who got through. And, being a bit... and you, the only girl. Yeah, me, the only girl. Yeah. So that was a big gig to be yeah. like, oh yeah, first. But you know what? As a result, <laughs> I did these gong shows. I did it did all right. Um, I didn't die. Have like a proper comedy death. For yeah. ages. Oh, really? Well, for ages in comedy terms, I think it was like 15 gigs in. Yeah. And everyone, you know, when you start, everyone shares these stories. Yeah. And I remember, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> they were like, um, I remember someone saying, Oh, how long have you been going? And I'd be like, Oh, this is my like 10th gig. And they were like, What? Because yeah. I was, because of the comedy course, I was just good and I was used to being on stage. So yeah. I looked much better than I was. My material was terrible. But <laughs> um, they were like, Wow, you're, you're good straight yeah. away. And yeah. they said, Oh, what? What's your worst death? And I was like, oh no, I don't do that. And I genuinely, <laughs> yeah, I genuinely thought, oh, I just don't do that. That's a thing other people do. And I, that's the thing I don't do. Oh my God. But then yeah. when it happened, it was even more. I thought I was going to die. Yeah. I thought I was going to die. I remember I was at the Preston Brooklyn Bucket and I remember oh looking God. at the train tracks being like, I might throw myself on there because I thought I'd found my thing. Oh my God. And then Did it you felt cry? like. Inter- yeah, I no, Do you know, I didn't cry. I didn't cry. I didn't. I was very tearful. I did not cry on stage. But I was I was ready to pull all my gigs the next day. I was literally ready to do it. And uh, my boyfriend at the time was like, just sleep on it. And I did. And then I felt a bit different about it in the morning. But yeah. I was like, that was a horrible thing. Because I thought I found everything that was me. Yeah. And then to go... Oh. And you had. And I had. But when you're, you know, it feels like the the world is ending when like yeah. you... And because I've been so arrogant about it, it's all the hubris. I deserved it. <laughs> I yeah. absolutely deserved it. And it's the only way you can learn. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And move on. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, I'm sorry to jump in with another question, uh, comedy courses mm. get a bit of a bad rap. But do you think that they're, I mean, I think it really depends who's on the who the teacher or is. Yeah. yeah. Because if it's somebody that's actually failed in comedy, they can be a bit bitter. But I think if they've got, you know, they know what they're doing. So yeah. I think um, I think what's interesting is you can be not a great comedian, but you can be a very good facilitator of, of teaching. Yeah. The yeah. best is when you're both. Yeah. So like I, I went on to like, I was always teaching from the age of that drama school from the age of 15 onwards. And sure. I've come from a family of teachers. Like, mm-hmm. so I've always taught and taught comedy and drama and things like that. And then I went on to teach stand up in my old uni, I've taught it in drama oh, schools, I've taught wow. it homeless people, looked after children, yeah, cool. all sorts. Yeah, yeah. Because it's amazing at that. And and yeah. before me in that uni, Jason Manford taught the course. Yeah, yeah. So I always felt really confident in that because I was like, there's nothing they can ask me that I yeah. won't know the answer to or I can't just text someone who knows it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes people have taught courses I've known that I'm like, how is this person who can't do a five minutes? Yeah. Has never written a show, you know. No, yeah, it, it feels cheap, very cheeky. Yeah, yeah. And back yeah. home, I do every few months. I'm due to do another one, actually. Yeah, I'll do like a three-hour introduction to stand-up Workshop, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. like I charge them like a five, and it'll go to a local charity. Yeah, and I know I can give them loads of help, but also that's about creating a network where I'm from. I live in rural yeah, North Wales, yeah, yeah. and actually, it just needs like so much of Scotland. Yeah, there's not not funny people there. There's just yeah. no infrastructure because it's vast, and it, you know, yeah. people are quite spread out. Yeah, so yeah, that's sure. been really great because yeah, there's yeah. people who've done that who've now running gigs and yeah, gigging cool. and stuff. So yeah. I do. I do believe in comedy courses, but I feel like you should be able to pick who runs them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. What I've, what I've found from comedy courses, because a lot of people that are in courses enter so you think you're funny, and that they're sometimes they they mimic each other. Like yes. there's a certain pattern to a, their jokes and and a it's formula. quite obvious. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they just need to be able to teach you to how to have your own style and stuff to become individual. There's like groups actually. of people that come through that are like the same jokes and yeah. structure, which is just like, yeah, that's my only issue with it sometimes. Absolutely. Because I, sorry. Go on. I, when I was teaching in the uni, that was something that I had to f- sort of 
fight against because yeah. like, you know you can see people who are really funny in a way that's different to you and it's not my job to make them more like me no. because it, this works for me it's yeah. my job to tease that out and give them the props around them to help that grow yeah. especially if they're more unusual yeah. or weird or act like Definitely. we want those yeah. we want the creative brains yeah. you can't just say this is the only way to write a joke absolutely yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I mean I just think about some of the material that we we have seen over the years is just <laughs> you know Incredible. But what I'd like to do is take you back <laughs> to your to childhood. childhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to know about your childhood, about your family, your mum and dad, and where you were born. And uh, did you have a nice, happy childhood? I did. I, I mean, I was born in England, but I was only there for eight eight months yeah. when my parents moved to North Wales, the island at the top, Anglesey. Mm-hmm. And they moved there. It was the first time... My my brother's much older than me, seven and nine years older than me. And um, they they moved because dad had for the first time ever got a like a proper job. My yeah. dad had his own garage before that and was just a bit of bit of uh, bit of a Dell boy, you know, <laughs> wheeler dealer, just doing right. what he could to get by. So when they lived my brothers were born in North Wales, when they lived there they owned a, a pony trekking centre because my mum was a used to teach riding for the disabled mm-hmm. so they got these horses for free opened this trekking center in this falling down house and wow. they really struggled for money to the point where um a few times the authorities tried to take my brothers away from my parents because they no. didn't have yeah they really? didn't have money to feed them to keep the house oh warm God. so they really really struggled and dad used to go out and he would you know he'd go and work in local quarries he'd go and play in bands for a bit of money he'd just do whatever he could yeah and then they moved down to england to gloucester and um, that's where I was born. And they, I can't remember what mum was doing at the time. Um, but well, da- you, were, you were only I a was, baby. Of course, yes. <laughs> uh, well, she must have been teaching because I remember there's a story about her teaching riding horses, very pregnant with me. So she must have been teaching horse riding still. And my mm-hmm. dad had started working for a charity that looks after donkeys. He was a welfare <laughs> inspector. Yeah. And they basically said to him, will you move up to North Wales and do the whole of Wales and the North West? And he yeah. said, yeah, great. And it was, my dad never had a salary before, a company car, it's a big thing for him. Yeah, absolutely. So they moved, moved the family up there to this very um, dilapidated farm, but they were, he was sort of like, it's going to be fine because I've got a job now. Yeah. And so he started this new life and about two months later, they laid him off. <gasps> oh, and no. yeah, and so he had this, we had... I grew up with no indoor bathroom. Oh like the, God, the toilet yeah. was in the garden. There was nothing in the house. It was very old You're, farmhouse. That sounds like a, a sick It's one. mad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't believe the amount of people who tried to make me write it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and what they did is, because it was a farm, it had about 50 acres. They, mum had like six sheep that were sort of like pets that she enjoyed like <laughs> showing and things like that. It was just a little hobby. Yeah. And they basically turned around and went, they're going to have to pay the rent. Yeah. And so... Mum learnt on the fly how to be a farmer. Yeah. yeah. So that's Did she how she killed them. <laughs> Not the six ones. They were called the old girls, and they all lived there till they really? till they passed away. Yeah. Aww. So the old girls stayed. Yeah. But they basically got this. They New just ones started to run. Did. Yeah. They just started to run a farm. Yeah. Well, they mum. Yeah. And um, so mum was, you know, got the land knocked into shape and mm-hmm. dad would go out and he'd do a bit of HGV driving. How did you learn that kind of stuff back in that, those days? They didn't have YouTube videos. No. How did you just, like, <laughs> well, she'd just always... get advice or something off of yeah. locals? I, it, a lot God. of that, which was difficult for my mum because mad. it's a very Welsh-speaking area. My sure. father's first language was, but she was English. It's yeah. quite a lot of anti-English sentiments yeah, um, yeah. for various reasons. Yeah. Um, also, she was probably the only woman in every farmer's market, you know, yeah. like going down to, yeah. to the auctions. But she worked really hard and they did amazingly and, and they would always get the best price in market and stuff. And it just started to go well. So by the mm. time I was... Um, so we went from being like dirt, dirt poor. And then when I was ready to go to school, my mum was like, right, this is... Because she'd always wanted a girl. Yeah. She was like, we're going to throw everything at this kid. Uh-huh. So they they went out. So they had the farm and then they went out and got extra jobs. So dad would drive, oh. yeah, dad would drive through the night on the lorries and mum worked in old people's home as yeah. a care assistant. Yeah. And then they put that money into, there was a local, very weird hippie private school mm. and quite quite sort of like very outdoorsy and it was two these, these two mad teachers that set it up who were like, we can teach kids better than we are. So I went to this private school and was convinced that I was poor because I knew I was 
Because yeah. they were putting everything into the fees and we didn't have a colour TV at home and we didn't go on holidays yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Did, yeah. So yeah, so I, I wasn't allowed to do the extra things. Did you things. have an indoor bathroom by that time? When did I? When did we get to put it? We <laughs> I'm must, sorry, I'm very concerned. I think, it was, I think it was about three, I was about three years old when it, oh, when it came in. Yeah. I, so I by the time you went to school, you had... Yeah, so we yeah. had an indoor bathroom, yeah. But um, but I always remember petrol being a big thing. I couldn't go to people's parties that we can't afford the petrol. That was a big thing. Mm. So they were just working it. And I just thought that we were poor. And of course I had massive privilege. I had my own bedroom. I was in private school. But I just thought that well, we were poor because I looked at people I went to school with. Yeah. And I remember at the time, like my brother got in loads of trouble at school for stealing money. <laughs> and he stole it and he hid it in my mum's purse. Oh, really? Because there was times that they were really, really short of money for food. Yeah. So it's this very weird thing of feeling like I'm poor but also knowing I go to a private school, and that's a different thing. You know, I, I wear a blaze. You'd come into other contact with other schools at swimming and stuff. You'd know you were different. Yeah. And then I went to, um, when I went to a normal school afterwards, because my my parents were trying to get out farming because BSE had happened. Oh, right. So they were like, we can't, f we, a, a profitable farm went to suddenly being not profitable. Yeah. And it was, I'd got into a scholarship into this other private school and I just said, I really, I don't want to go to it. I, do, I don't want to go. And I said, I want to go to this school, which is a local normal school. So I went there and my mum said afterwards, she was like, I was so relieved because I just didn't know how we could keep working, how we were doing it. Mm -hmm. But she told you that later. Yeah, yeah. she would yeah. never have put that on me. She was like, we would have no. found a way to make it work. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, so they, they sort of stopped farming at that point and then just kept their jobs, you know, wiping ass as my mother used to call it but working in the old people's home and dad on the lorries yeah. and I was in a normal school then so the the pressure lifted and my brothers moved out when I was about nine so they were 16 and 18 they moved away to uni and to work and stuff so I went to sort of being an only child at nine which is a bit, a bit strange yeah but yeah so I had very very privileged lucky slightly tricky yeah. unusual yeah. Um, are you close with your brothers? Yes, we are now. Very close. Yeah. yeah. My um, my eldest brother especially. My middle brother was sort of like just sort of disappeared for about ten years. He's quite a um quite a complicated man. Yeah. And I think he just sort of like went off and did his own thing and yeah. But now he's very much in my life. In fact, he's the person who's at my house right now. Oh, oh really? On the fringe yeah, and, yeah. yeah. It's lovely to have him back, and we all, we're all quite close now. Yeah. yeah. But like, they also had a different childhood to me. I think they had it much tougher than sure. I did. Yes, yes. Um, yes. So I. Did they ever tell you that? Did they ever say, yes, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it was quite. I think it was probably. A, they would never admit it, but I think one in particular would have been a bit of a bone of contention. Yeah. I think he thought, oh, I didn't go to private school because I was stupid. And it wasn't that. It was just because it was different circumstances. And my yeah. mum was like, my mum's just like, they're sort of like bootstrap Tories, my parents. Yeah. So they just think like, you work hard and you give them the best chance, you know, like like all parents. Yeah. But they really sort of believe in that like work ethic and that sort yeah. of like, well, let's, you know, whereas I'm like a now liberal middle class person, I was like, well, it's not right to send your children to private school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they would sure. be like, no, no, you do whatever you can to get so, them ahead. So yeah, they don't to give have them to, a head start. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a very interesting one. My parents yeah. now live in Scotland, actually. Oh, do they? Do Mm, yeah, my mother is well. She's the McLean side. Yeah. Um. So she has a great affinity with Scotland because oh, nice. her father was from Glasgow, and yeah. yeah, she. So they moved up. They live on the sort of the borders now. So, oh, yeah. very lovely. Nice. Yeah. So, what was your relationship like with your mum and dad going growing up? Well, dad. Part of that. Yeah, that definitely affected it. So, mum would work nights, so I didn't really see her yeah, in yeah. primary school, and uh she would she'd get in and then go to bed uh, yeah, and then she'd when i got home she'd be out on the farm working yeah so i remember like dad would get me ready for school in the morning and do my hair so my hair was always rubbish <laughs> because i had this guy with massive mechanic hands yeah, trying to yeah, do yeah. like a french plait yeah. and so my hair in every school photo is an absolute nightmare yeah yeah um and my dad and i were yeah close because we spent so much and i actually really feel for my mum in that respect because she so wanted a daughter and like sure. You know, and and we get on, we get on absolutely great ground, yeah. especially if it's anything animally horsey. But <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like maybe she missed a bit, or felt like she missed a bit of the bond because she's out there trying to make a better life for yeah. me, yeah. which yeah. is a tough thing for for yeah, all of us. Hard. Have you yeah. ever discussed that with her? No, she's not someone who'd really talk about that stuff. Yeah. And I think she might find it hard to sort of articulate. Yeah, yeah. But she does. Um, I'm very grateful for everything that they did. Of and course, I, of course. They're uh, incredible. That's the main thing I think is their their work ethic yeah, that I've that's inherited. What you've from them. Yes, yeah. is that like 
And I understand that, you know, there's all sorts of other things. I used to think everyone can afford to go to private school. It's just whether you work hard enough. Because yeah. I used to think that. Sounds like I saw, mommy me. Yeah. But I used to see all, I used to see my parents and think, well, just do what they're doing. Yeah. But then I realised, well, actually, my mum is able-bodied and, you know, mm. she can read so she can see yeah. when there's a job advert, all these all these things. She can drive so she can get herself there. Yeah. I now see all those other privileges that I didn't see as, course, a, as a kid. Yeah. But I do recognise I'm never going to take away from them how incredibly hard they work. Yeah. And it's also their priorities. Like, um, they prioritised you to go to private school yeah. and that came first before, before the everything. end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the sound of it. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. So you were nine, you were mm-hmm. going to school, your mum wasn't present. Were you, yeah. a, were you a disruptive teenager? <laughs> were you a rebel? Were you a rebe- Did was you have I? a rebellious period? I, actually, my parents are quite re- rebellious oh, yeah. in that they are sort of, they're quite odd people. They're quite eccentric. But in just in a way, you know what they're like? They're like, we, no, we're all right. We don't need your help. We do things our way. So yes. They're just kind of a bit distrustful because they've had to work so hard. Mm-hmm. They're, they they don't really have great friendships with many people and they're just sort of a unit and then the family's a unit and it's, yeah. they sort of keep everyone at arm's length and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And some of it is shyness with my mum, which my dad's quite social. Yeah. So I, um, I, don't, I didn't really ever rebel. I was quite smart about it. I just didn't tell them when I was doing stuff. I was quite crafty. Yeah. And also knew they were quite busy. So, you know, if you were smart about it, you just don't draw their attention. That's the key. Yeah. Whereas my brothers were thick because they're and, boys. And it sounds to me like they trusted you. Yeah, I think so. I think they thought I had a good head on my shoulders. And you know what? I've never, I've never smoked like, well, I smoked weed when I was like ten or eleven. But yeah. that's that's because that's the countryside. Yeah. But then I didn't, yeah. I didn't do any drugs after the age of about thirteen. So yeah. there wasn't. Also, I was allergic to alcohol, so I couldn't really get drunk. Oh, really? How did you find that out? Well, from having alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had like a little stubby beer at a barbecue. My mum's like, "It's only shandy. She can have a bit of that." Yeah. And I had this massive allergic reaction, and it got worse. At, my parents would be the ones where, you know, you'd be allowed a little bit of wine at Christmas yeah. or whatever with meal. Yeah. And I just started to have these really bad allergic reactions. Oh, so God. until I worked out I could take antihistamines at about 20, I didn't drink. So they had a daughter that they knew couldn't drink. Yeah. You know, wasn't into, wasn't ever smoking. Yeah. None of that stuff. So I was quite, I think I was quite easy. So it was boys yeah. then, was yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, also, again, I was just very smart about that. So yeah. I'd be like, I'd sort of like, you know, I'd be out with my friends a lot and, and things like that. And as soon as I could drive as well, and I wasn't asking them for lifts, they didn't mind what I did. Exactly. I had my yeah, own yeah. car. Because yeah. dad had got me a cheap second-hand car, this yeah. mad Citroen 2CV, you know, those little Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I have one of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. So yeah. I was just off for, and they didn't mind. And I was working at 14, and by 15, I had four jobs. Oh, my God. So I never asked them for money past the age of 14. Yeah. So they were just like, you have to do what you want. Yeah. They sort of left. I didn't ever rebel because there they were times... Kind of, yeah, didn't. There was... was it wasn't was an opportunity to yeah and that there was definitely time also there was just no negotiating with my mother so if she said no you'd be like you know she's quite a scary woman really? you would just not do it yeah but for fear of what she would do really so yeah she, yeah she's really hard yeah. <laughs> my mother's yeah. like a hard woman yeah. so if she goes no you'd be like you wouldn't even go but can but i please. just get home yeah, at yeah, this yeah. time she, yeah. you'd be like okay yeah um, yeah. And you'd have to really pick your battles because you couldn't ask like, don't ask for like three things in a week. No, no, you no. Know, really save up because that's the thing you really want to yeah. go. Start yeah. planting the seeds. Like, yeah. You know, but she was some... hard because of all the work that she was doing and yeah. the circumstances. Yeah. But it sounds like she was harder than your dad. Um, yes, my dad was softer about, softer generally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bit of a daddy's girl. Yeah. But he also was strict about certain things if there's sort of boy if you thought there was boys involved he would be stricter yeah, and that yeah. my mum would be yeah. a bit more relaxed but yeah, generally sure. my mum would be just quite strict about everything i think and yeah some of the times i thought they were being strict i now recognize it was a money issue really yeah but they yeah. were just like no you're not going to that yeah and, uh, and i thought oh it's just because i'm not allowed to go and actually, actually they couldn't afford it couldn't. Yeah, and yeah. they wouldn't have said that or wanted me to repeat it because those children are indiscreet yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah what else what have you learned from your parents then do you think apart from obviously the work work ethic that you've uh said already yeah well do you know what? i learned from my dad and i often repeat this to other people and yeah. i didn't believe him at first is my dad's always pretty much been self-employed and i think being let go from that job it massively affected his mental health we can all see that looking back now sure. he was really unwell because he was used to being sort of the breadwinner mm-hmm. and had I'd got used to actually uh, having a bit of he found great esteem in having a sort of white collar job sure not being on the tools and not mm-hmm. like 
you know, your body breaking out and then you having to stop doing the work. He's like, this is a nice job. I yeah. could do this forever. Mm-hmm. And then they let him go and he really struggled with that. And especially because he'd been very loyal and, you know, yeah. done above and beyond. And so he was always like, to me, he's like, don't work hard to make anyone else rich other than yourself. Mm. And I didn't know what he was on about for ages. And yeah. he was like, they'll never... Everything you give them, they'll never give it you back. Yeah, right. I was like, what is he on about? And then there was just a few times with jobs where, so there's one, I started, this job I started at 14 as a washer-upper. Yeah. By the time I was like 18, I was like a chef there. Yeah. And I used to pay my, for myself to go to uni. So I used to pay my tuition fees, my accommodation, but I worked 80 hour weeks as an 18 year old over the summer. Jesus. You know, doing, on a terrible, not on a chef's wage either, on a terrible, terrible wage to save up to go to uni. And then when I, I'd go back every holidays and that's how I'd sort of get yeah, by. Yeah. And I remember they f- sort of fired me by, they left me a voicemail. And I was oh, like, God I've sake. worked for you since I was 14 years old. Yeah. Anytime anyone dropped out of a shift, I was the first to come in. Uh-huh. I worked on a terrible wage. I worked long hours. Like I did all this stuff. And they let you go. And then they, and this is a family that, you know, that lived you yeah. know, not far, a village away. Sure. And I just thought, what if you all do that? Yeah. And then I again I worked. I remember I, the the last proper job that I had before comedy was mm. I worked in just in the Trafford Centre in a shop. Yeah. And then um, again I'd always come in when anyone was sick. I'd come in early if they needed all that kind of stuff. And then I think it was a thing like I'd booked off to go to Glastonbury. Yeah. And I maybe I hadn't filled in the time off form right. Yeah. And I said I had I said oh, I'll be back on the Saturday and actually I was back on the Sunday something like that. Sure. So they put me on the Sunday. Went oh I'm at Glastonbury then because I'm talking about I'm going to Glastonbury. We'll get on good. Yeah. And they went no no well, you put it on the form that it was this. Yeah. And and uh, I was like well can I can I sh- swap shifts and they're like no nope, we don't work around you you've made a mistake you deal with it and oh, I thought God. I clocked it then I was like yeah I'm not having it and I just I handed my notice in about two weeks later because yeah, I was yeah. like what am I doing? I know. And then that's what's actually great about being self-employed for me is yeah. all my hard work leads to yeah, a direct to benefit yeah whereas everywhere else i worked you'd work so hard for the thing yeah. and you'd yeah. still be on five pound an hour yeah like it wouldn't matter how hard Absolutely, you worked you get yeah. the same as someone who phoned it in you get you know you yeah. get the same as someone who wasn't doing it who sat in a storeroom on their phone yeah so yeah that is something i actually really believe in that my dad's told yeah me. it's one of the things that we kind of have to instill in the staff as much as possible especially after the last two years like more and more people care about the people that they work for and like we do it for the love of it <laughs> And it's trying to get that across that we're not making millions of mon- mm. millions out of this. It, you're doing it for the greater good of the artists. Yeah. And that's what our priorities are. So we have to constantly be communicating to the staff that that's our priority, mm. not you know making money for the man, basically. So yeah. it's, and people care about that more and more, but some of them don't give a shit. <laughs> but I, so. I think you're so right. And that's like, I, don't get me wrong. I'm doing great, but I, it goes out fast and yeah. I always like whoever I work with whether it's my tour supports I know I pay more than most people for my tour supports because yeah. it's my way of going sometimes money is the only way you can show people you appreciate yeah. them yeah so like I know I pay like top work for my tour supports yeah like I've had merch made I pay everyone properly at every point with that sure. anyone who does anything for me usually like I had a big sign commission for my show that I'm doing up here and she charged me this much and I doubled it because I was like it's not worth your time to do it for that and yeah, like really. but so many times I'll just like double it if I don't think they're charging their worth because yeah. I want people to know that I value them and yeah. I want them to keep wanting to work with me. Yeah, of course. Because so many times I felt like I've been exploited for really? crap wages for the, and the whole like, when it when they make it an emotional thing, mm-hmm. when they're like, we're like a family. Yeah. And That's I've got two do. houses. But, no, but you're <laughs> not, you're not, you're like not sat there on a, a beach in Aruba for uh, most yeah, of the year. Exactly. That's the thing that I found was like, you'd be like, I'm like, you know, you're a family and then they're not paying you properly. Yeah. They've got two houses yeah, and yeah, you totally. ca- you're having to work a bar job to make, the Fun difference wages, so yeah, yeah, but yeah, i was totally. going to say you did something really brilliant in lockdown it was a great idea and it so worked oh, i mean that arms yeah well i was going to let <laughs> i was actually she actually did spoiler. two good I things i was actually in... going well let's just start yeah, there's with... two good things that she done. i mean there might be more <laughs> i don't know what the no, second is so but, i'm excited well, to find out i think it's because you helped us uh no, no. Carry on. All right, well, we'll discuss it. Just get off comedy, that's what... (laughs) Carry on. Okay. Uh, Kitty, you were... (laughs) You had a brilliant idea during lockdown because it was so difficult for everyone. Yeah. And actually, doing Zoom gigs and everything is the most difficult thing in the world, Mm -hmm. and not many people did it. But what did you do? So, yeah, it was... I've got to give credit to 
Jess and Jake Lee Wilson, who actually who went to my primary school, and they're fantastic. They're really hard workers, really philanthropic, and they'd start this little, basically Zoom pub with their mates yeah. from around the country called the COVID Arms, and they said. Because Jake knows Rosie Wilson from from work, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rosie Wilson, Rosie Jones. Jones. Yeah, <laughs> um, I knew you were talking yeah. about. Rosie <laughs> and he said, "Listen, we're doing a thing where Rosie's going to come and just do a bit of comedy. Do you yeah. want to do it as well? Do you want to host it?" And I said, "Well, yeah." And I said, "Do you want me to ask if anyone else wants to do it?" And I sort of asked one of my friends that I didn't mind asking to work for free. Sure, so, sure. Stephen Bailey and Rachel Fairburn. And I said, "Hold on, we've got a really good lineup here." Because they said we're going to charge people a couple of quid, and then we'll put it in towards the Trussell Trust. Yeah. That's a lovely thing. And I said, "Do you want just me to push it out and see if anyone comes else along?" Comes. Yeah, yeah. So thousands yeah. did. <laughs> Yeah. And it raised like thirteen grand on the first one, and yeah, straight away everyone was crazy. like, "When's the next one?" Yeah, and I was like, "Well, this is, yeah, I guess we could do it. The infrastructure's there." Yeah, and Jake, thankfully, is like Jess is works in branding. Jake uh, makes is like a filmmaker and yeah. he's great at tech stuff. So we kind of had the thing there. And also, I was so struck when I was talking to them. I said, "We're not doing any from now on when we're not paying the comedians or offering them." Sure. I said because all I, I mean, as, but coming up through the circuit where it isn't skewed mi middle class at all. Mm -hmm. I just was watching all my friends who, you know, established great acts, but I know what it's like being only on the circuit. You got your gigs, you know how much you're earning, mm -hmm. and you live to that. Yeah. Gone. Six six months of work, gone. Exactly. And yeah. they had nothing. Yeah. And I was like, we've got to get we've got to at least offer. Yeah. So that's what we did is basically everything we raised every time, we'd split half would immediately go to the Trussell Trust and then we'd divvy up the rest of it between the acts. We put a musician on as well to try and support them. Yeah. And we just put the best lineups that we could. Quite often the acts who are more established were like just chuck mine in the pot or put mm -hmm. it towards the Trussell Trust or yeah. give it to the other acts or some of them were like roll it over when you know someone's really stuck and they don't have to have done the gig and we did that a few times and yeah so we we raised about one hundred and fifty thousand pounds for the trussell trust just wow. over there yeah crazy. and we, i think we Incredible. paid about 90k out to comedians yeah oh that is which is of course the trussell trust stuff is amazing but to yeah. me I say, I get lots of people after the gig going, oh, like, thank you for the COVID arms. And I'm always like, well, no, thank you. Because yeah. I know you paid people's mortgages when they thought they were going to have to default or lose their house. Yeah, Like, course. it was, because sometimes we're playing, paying people two grand. Yeah, yeah. Because we have, a, you know, we've got, you know, a big selling gig. Yeah, and yeah. that is life changing for yeah. people yes, in those conditions. Absolutely. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, what, I'm can really Can you proud. just remind me, what is the Trestle Trust? It's a food bank charity. Because yeah. that's All the other right. thing is charities such a tricky thing but yeah. we all sat down we we're like you know what no one can argue that people deserve to be fed mm -hmm. yes. and it, it crosses everything there yeah. you know because yes. there's so many causes that i you know want to support like anything welsh or you know queer people yeah, yeah. anything like that people of color in particular you know mm -hmm. like like black minds matter things like that but some of them can be politicized and i'm not saying sure. that they shouldn't be and trust trust isn't but yeah. it felt like no one can argue with feeding hung hungry children in a pandemic yeah, of course. so that's why we work with them yeah yeah and what do you think about what's going on i shouldn't be asking you this because it's so political but about what's going on now that so many people can't because of the cost rising of cost of cost yeah. of electricity etc what well, do you think of these people that can't that can't get food well i've literally mm. just put money in a bank for one of my friends who uses food banks because the the emergency fund that, mm. that you know that it hasn't come through the paperwork all that kind of stuff yeah. so i have someone very close to me in my life who is in that situation and it's not just the and i don't think it should have these things it's not just the indignity not that i think there should be a lack of dignity but there is sure. a stigma in the world that we live in because of the press of scroungers and all this kind of thing yeah it's not just that when when she talks through so it's her and a partner and a kid when she talks through her life and my other friend as well, who's in a similar, sim she's she's more comfortable financially, but like, so she's registered disabled, my friend, and her, her partner is now on, on sick as well um, because of yeah. various mental health things. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just exhausting to live like that, mm -hmm. to have to account for every penny, yeah. to know when like, so they'll be chunnering away about shopping and things like that. And they'll go, oh, go to Asda because mince is down a pound. Yeah, yeah. And they're only gonna, it's only on till this date. And like, and I'm very, very, very fortunate. It hasn't been, it's only been the past couple of years. When I shop, I'll just sort of tap the card. I won't really look at yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah. And to 
think about, right, well, my pip comes in on this date, but that direct debit goes up. Well, in fact, they don't have direct debits. They yeah. stay up at night and they go, which bill needs paying the most because yeah, they're yeah, in the yeah, most juggling. trouble and they do that. Yeah. That is a full-time job, yeah. let yeah. alone anything else. And then we're telling these people, and also the mass incompetence around that because it's a stretched civil service. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, they were entitled to like motability and then there was some paperwork mess up. So they get their car taken away from them. And like, well, how did the child get to school? Yeah. How do they, you know, get to work when he was working? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, and we can't. They've also, because of the pandemic, they should have an electric car. Um, but it's years, which would be much cheaper for them, but it's years yeah. behind. And now yeah. they're on the waiting list for it. And that's nine months away. And, you know, even petrol, things that I don't realize. So they were saying, when you... You know, you put your card in to pay for petrol. Mm -hmm. Tesco check. They used to check your bank account for a quid, and now they just check it for ninety nine pounds. So they can't get petrol. Yeah. Because yeah. there's never ninety nine pounds in that account. Oh, yeah, yeah. So even when they're getting like a fiver, which is the lowest amount they can get, that you can put in. Yeah. It's Jesus. unbelievable. Yeah. The, the and also the feelings, the lack of self worth that these mm -hmm. people I love have. Yeah. Going, I can't do anything. It's so you know, just like I'm useless, and it's like. You're the most capable person I know. If yeah. I had to do all of this life admin to put food on the table and get my kid to school, yeah. there's no time for anything else. Yeah, of course, and, of course. and that's with a disability yeah. and and with everyone around you culturally and that you encounter thinking you're just, you know, what yeah. you're trying to scam them. Yeah. And they always they have they feel so bad about it. And I'm like, listen, I pay fucking loads in tax and I pay it for people like you. Yeah. I don't pay it for, you know, like the tax loopholes and stuff like that. Exactly. And it's uh, so I, it's something I'm very, very passionate about. Of course, mm -hmm. of course. Very passionate about because yeah. it is like, although it's not in my home, it's very close to close my to home. It, yeah. And yeah. I would just, you go into politics? No. Do you know what I used to think that I would, but I actually genuinely think that you have to play the game so much. I fairly strongly believe that I can affect more change actually with what I do. Yeah. And I might have, have a bigger platform if I keep working hard. I can. I, ne I never do a show where I'm not talking about something I think is really important. Yeah. Of course. And and I'm getting to do that to hundreds of people every night up yeah, here yeah. and thousands of people when I'm on tour. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that actually can no, be a way to agree. do it. Yeah, and without sure. me having to, you know, go, well, you know, I'm going to take money from them because then it'll help me win that and then I can get that library and then that library never happens because you've got to do them that favour. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, my morals are my own. I don't have to worry about paying my mortgage. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if all goes tits up, I know I can go back on the circuit. Yeah. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Not if you see me on the circuit, it's because I'm not happy. I love gigs. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, yeah, so that's how I feel. Yeah. So and another well, thing that you did during the pandemic or that was set up as a result of the pandemic was I think I'll Get Off. Yes. What is it, <laughs> Kerry? Explain more about it. It's called Get Off Live Comedy. Yeah. And it's an independent HR that is set up to deal with sexual harassment in live comedy. Wow. And yeah. Big, big issue, topic, problem in comedy. Since we've been up at the fringe, our HR has been messaged every single day from people being assaulted really? or harassed up here. Really? In the, yeah, really? Yeah. Oh my every single God. day. And I've had about half a dozen all girls, not that it's only women who are affected by it, sure. come up to me and say, I left because I was assaulted mm -hmm. or harassed out of it. And they're very sweet. They're usually very like, thank you for doing this. Yeah. They know, but I'm like, I'm just sick. Again, it's another like hidden tax on being a woman. Mm -hmm. Is that so many of my male, I'm not saying, and of course men are affected by this, mm -hmm. But also, this, I don't really know any men in comedy who a woman has gone on to them and they've thought, I'm going to die. Yeah. I, this person might kill me. Yeah, yeah. So there's this, just this level of like, oh, I can't do, I can't keep doing that. And no. like, so many times I'll, I'll be myself like, you know, I'll be like in London, emceeing the store. So I'm there till late and I'm yeah. on a bus home and then I walk, walking through to stay in my like sofa or whatever of a mate yeah. or box bedroom. And I'm like, it's two o'clock in the morning here. I'm on my own. Mm -hmm. And... It's such Everything a risk. Happen, you yeah, shouldn't yeah. be yeah. alone. Yeah. Well, it's it's just difficult, isn't it? And you know, like I phone people and stuff. Like, so part I can chat. Job, to them. Yeah. But it is it's it's a it's a really uncomfortable part of the job, and yeah. and so much of stuff is normalised. Of you know, you get a lift to a gig somewhere, mm -hmm. and you're suddenly in a car with four guys you've never met. Yeah. And you know, I've always been pretty lucky that that's actually how I met some of my greatest friends. Yeah. And, you know, it's like a man called Will Duggan is going to pick you up, <laughs> and it ends yeah. up being a friend years later. Yeah. Yeah. But. It's not the case for everybody. And yeah. also, I also know that um, 
how I experience people is not how everyone experiences yeah. them. Yeah. And something about my demeanor means that, you know, uh, certain people haven't seen me as a victim and they've yeah. seen other people as it. Yeah. So that's the thing I think we have to be really careful about as well is because it's so easy when it's someone you know or, mm -hmm. and love yeah. to go, no, I can't believe that. Yeah. It's like, just because it doesn't happen to you with this person, doesn't it doesn't mean, mean it doesn't happen. That's right, absolutely. And that's really hard. Yeah. And, and also one of the things I want to get away from is because, especially being involved, get off. Mm. Speaking really honestly, yeah. with you yeah one of the hardest things is i know that if i get a whiff of anyone being a wrong and i turn down working with them yeah because there's yeah. lots of people that won't get off to fail mm -hmm. and if i'm seen to be working with wrong ones well that's a reason why yeah i'm not exaggerating thousands tens of thousands of pounds last year i turned down for like moral reasons R racism and, yeah. and sexual yeah. assault were the big ones yeah sure and i'm trying to do that and then people cut we we get messages every now and then going well, what do you think about this woman working with that person i'm like it's not on women not to work with people yeah, yeah. i have to do it because you're using i know you'll use that as an excuse not to trust the thing that we're doing yeah because yeah. you don't want it anyway i wonder yeah. why that is uh -huh, uh -huh. it's not on women to not work with perverts it's on perverts to, to sort their <laughs> shit out exactly or, and Absolutely. people also the, the venues yeah. and the promoters to be responsible yeah. you're an employer yeah like and it's you're there to protect your employees and if you're not it's a failing and also like newsflash in the legislation is moving now that if you aren't seen to take responsibility for your employees yeah in whichever capacity you are liable yeah and yeah, for right. prosecution as yeah, well yeah and i don't think people see this thing coming because it's a sort of matey environment yeah. and it's a bit sort of but you know what they're they're the first to like these people is also always always informal and stuff like that yeah. but it's not like it's a we've been paid to yeah, do this job be, and yeah, yeah. you know yeah. you do you have an accountant you know you do lots of formal things in your job and yet yeah. when it comes to being responsible suddenly it's all sort of mates all, and let's yeah. be informal yeah yeah sure sure so yeah and it's it do you know what really frustrates me is again i, I can tell you I, I think i'll do something public about it soon so yeah. what we've asked for to fund it because we've mm -hmm. done some fundraisers yeah um is like a penny on every ticket sold and that yeah. can be you can add it afterwards and go this is what this is going for a little click on the thing yeah and as soon as we asked for that venues went silent yeah and we went silent in in particular <laughs> why <laughs> because we got it and i was like how the fuck can we do that because of the fringe yeah i think like it's different year round well is it if you control your own venue that, it just freaked me out because of the fringe and the volume of tickets it's yeah. like but i absolutely agree I agree with you yeah. the donation option or adding it at the end yeah. like there's a way that we can do it it's just that this year we freaked out because we don't know we didn't know what was going to happen this year yeah. like this year's such an unknown yeah. so yeah i totally get why venues went cold, cold yeah. but it's important that we get back and yeah. figure out a way to work in it because because i'm paying for of, it yeah loads of venues really? want to be part of it personally yeah because i believe in it and i don't want all those victims sat there yeah. no. with because that's all we have at the moment they've got no one yeah and we're all they have. Yeah. And hopefully. I can't like, and it's it's like bankrupting me, the stuff yeah. that I'm paying for, but I'm like, but no one else is gonna do it. Yeah. And this is the thing is so many of the promoters are happy to go forward on stuff or give our thing and be like, pay a fucking penny yeah, on every ticket. Like, cause we're picking up the slack here. And this is the thing is, again, can, really candidly speaking, yeah. I know we will have to wait. Everyone will sign up on their membership when someone gets assaulted very publicly yeah. or a perv is outed okay. and that feels like such a frustrating position to be in yeah yeah to to affect change mm -hmm. because it does like it affect about one in seven people in comedy mm -hmm. have been affected by this yeah it's one in five for non-binary people and yeah. it's one in three for women who've been assaulted or witnessed an assault yeah and that yeah. is unbelievable odds yeah yeah unbelievable yeah. odds and it's and we're not talking about sort of like not that anything isn't important. We're not talking about pinch on the boat. We're talking about the most serious crimes that you can commit. Yeah. Is yeah. fairly normal. And it's, yeah, it's yeah, awful. It's, it's and it's still going on. And I mean, yeah, we've had some incidents during the fringe this year. And that's like one of our biggest priority, absolutely, is our code of conduct and our sexual assault um, procedures and all of that. And like, I'm having to have meetings about it, you know, since last week. So something needs to be done and it's still happening. Because I also really am aware of it from the side of the venue. It's huge. It's huge. And you take yeah. all these people in and you trust them. Yeah. And you think, obviously, you don't have to tell people not to you know, yeah. do that. 
but actually, you know, there's there's bad people everywhere. Yeah. And it's about cultural change and that takes a long time and we can't fix it overnight. Yeah. And we need to support venues in knowing what to do, handling yeah. disclosures, what Absolutely. impossible things. So like yeah. our whole thing is like, let's support people to do the, the right thing. That's that's the whole plan with it, is to try and make sure that we yeah. have the back of victims, but also of venues who I know they don't want people unsafe on their premises. Yeah. Even if it's just from a mercenary, oh, I can't afford it way. Yeah. But yeah. most people are good eggs and they care. Yeah. about the people in their you know yeah. on the premises or yeah, in their shows it's so, a complicated yeah. issue as well because the, a lot of the time they're protected by behind agents or producers from a venue site so like we've you know we've have to, had to make complaints to a producer but you don't know if that's going back to the actual person yeah. that's committed the, the yeah. event so it's a huge huge issue i think you are absolutely amazing <laughs> Katie, oh, that's so nice all the things you're doing and <laughs> um helping and thinking of others at the same time that's really i nice. mean <laughs> i think your um your parents are very proud of you <laughs> yes my dad is but my dad's my biggest fan he like comes to all the he loves all the like show he loves coming to the shows he loves watching comedy yeah and, yeah even though he's He's 80 and he came up with his little walking stick at the beginning of the fringe. Got, oh, got in the way and moaned that I live on the fourth floor like he doesn't know. But oh, he's great. Yeah. And my mum, do you know what? In a funny way, my mum's, I think she struggles because I'm quite rude on stage and she doesn't, she's quite shy. Yeah. But um, I think she is, it, certain things she'd be like, my friend messaged and said you're on the news quiz. Yeah, like, yeah. That's my mum's way of saying she was, she's she was proud. proud of you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so but, lovely. Um, yeah. So, so what's next for you? I tell you one of the things I want to do, and I, I will hit you up at some point about this. Is yeah. so because I think that the financial system at the fringe is really difficult for everybody. Yeah. And at the moment, how it is is it is disproportionately affecting working class acts. Yeah. And, of course. And class intersects with so many things. You know, with with disability, with race. Yeah. You know, queer people. Yeah. So I. I did it. I started doing it in 2019. I sent an email to a lot of people I knew who I thought might be sympathetic and went, listen, I think we can sort of fix this. I think uh -huh. we can do something. So so I said, like, what could you... I said, I'm personally underwriting someone's fringe, their yeah. first hour, working yeah. class queer act. Mm -hmm. um, what could you do? Is there anything you could do? Yeah. Uh, could you just be a mentor? Mm -hmm. Maybe you could direct someone. Maybe you've got a bit of cash. Maybe this, maybe that sort of thing. Or, yeah. or you're just interested in helping. You could do the admin side. And I got a great reception back. And then the pando happened. And, yes. then, and then get off happened. And I was yeah. like, I'm not sure I have much so, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. being up here. And so my partner and I, we're, and, well, we're covering three people's accommodation. Mm. And I'm underwriting an Axe Edinburgh. And every day on my show, the bucket, because I get, you know, a bucket, a monkey barrel, yeah. that I have a bit of paper that says, this is all going to working class acts. So I've got mm -hmm. this bag of money that I'm terrified about. Yeah. And in fact, <laughs> yeah. after this, I'm meeting Mark Watson to chat about it. But that's the next thing is, because the thing is, is it does skew in the favour. And I know this isn't just performers. I know this is venues. Yeah. It yeah. skews in the favour of the people with the, the yeah. deep pockets, often yeah. because they come from, you know, hereditary wealth. Yes. And absolutely. if you have to hustle and work for it on your own, that's yeah. that's very tricky. Yeah. So I basically, when I explain to people, I say, it's like we are the rich parents. Mm -hmm. So we give them the connections or we give them the money. And and quite often when I sort of asked, I've been running these three workshops up, up in Manchester and London for newer acts about the fringe. Come along, there'll be a panel, yeah. ask us, you know, there'll be acts and promoters and stuff. What, what do you want to know? Mm -hmm. And and then I'd sort of email them out afterwards and go, what is it you need? And actually money wasn't always the case because they'd be like, you know what, I've been saving for years and I've got yeah. a pretty okay job, but I would love someone to ask questions or yeah. I would love a director yeah, and I don't yeah. know who. And there's, so that we've got this infrastructure of skills and mm -hmm. we've got this infrastructure of, of people yeah. and it's just pairing them. So that's that's my next thing, I yeah, think. Yeah. is um, And you know, like my PR, lovely Paul Sullivan was yeah. like, I'll PR someone for free. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. So actually that we do have the, you know, because they, they might be like, I can pay for a fringe, I just can't have PR. And be like, yeah. well, that is something we can sort for you. And yeah, I actually yeah. think that there's, we could fix it in five years, this yeah. problem. Yeah. We could level the playing field. And I, the only thing I say to people who I'm helping financially yeah. is when you get to the position, you can do it, you do it for someone else. Yeah, yeah. And in yeah. five years, we'd all be sending the ladder down and it yeah. wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. And yeah. it wouldn't be that only, you know, people from certain universities or certain areas or certain backgrounds would be the this. ones who found it so easy and could yeah. throw all this money at it. Yeah. Yeah, um, no. So that's that's next. Yeah, right. well, we'll that help what we can. For well, sure. I know that we're the same. It's going to take us five years to get back on our feet. Yeah, you yeah. know. With, but we also with... produce acts every year, and like, yeah, we 
already support people to yeah. do it. So it's just, and it's about and supporting have, the right people. We have been people. producing shows for many, many years. Yeah, yeah but and it's just about, yeah, helping people that really need it, I suppose. Exactly. Giving yeah. them accommodation and, um, yeah. yeah, there's many, many issues with this festival that you're going to fix, Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on it, don't you worry. Yeah. We'll, we'll help you, we'll yeah. be there. Yeah. I'll, I'll drop you an email because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're exactly the right people. And, and that's the thing is actually, I'm, I'm, I'm always heartened by people do... If you're in this industry, yeah. like it's so hard and all-consuming that you you love it. Yeah. And what we want it to be better. Yeah. And we want it to be there is as people here that want it, it to be. be. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's some cynical people. Yeah. And some you know leeches. But yeah. generally, actually, everyone wants people to be happy and yeah. safe yeah. and working. And people are really. That's really... what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Kerry Richard McLean, thank you so much. Perfect and ending. All the luck with all these wonderful things you're doing yes and for other people we'd love to be a part of it as well yeah i'll definitely hit you up thank definitely. you so much for thank you. Thank, thank you thanks so much thank you mama said there'll be days like this there'll be days like this mama said mama said mama said there'll be days like this there'll be days like this my mama said mama said